0: Messaging, telling your story, is critically important to businesses today, and especially so for entrepreneurs and those looking to gain attention, stand out, and grow quickly. It takes more than a clever pitch. Today, we'll talk with an expert, someone who advises innovators and entrepreneurs, has been a leader in 12 different companies, and who has, directly or through the funds he manages, invested in more than 80 startups and small businesses. So what makes the difference? We'll talk to Jeff Amerine, founder and managing director of Startup Junkie on the Manager Message podcast.
1: Welcome to the Manager Message podcast, where professionals come for ideas and inspiration to grow by talking about their businesses more effectively and getting lots of other people to do the same. Here is your host, consultant, professional speaker and author, Jim Carr.
0: Come on in and welcome to the Manage Your Message podcast. I'm Jim Carr. I help professionals and entire organizations to get the most out of their everyday business conversations, the ones that generate by far the most growth opportunities. That means improvements in revenue, customer engagement, employee engagement, and your brand and reputation. I do that through consulting, professional speaking, and advisory work. My programs include guidance for message leadership with groups of professionals as well as messaging transformation across an organization. On this podcast, we discuss three foundational components so you can manage your message. First, the message itself, meaning the words, stories, and evidence you want your marketplace to know about. Second, your messengers, the network of people who can help you share that message. And third, management habits that will shape your culture and turn those improvements into an everyday business advantage. My new book is now available from Career Press. It's titled The Science of Customer Connections, Manage Your Message to Grow Your Business. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Indie Books. The audio version is in Apple and Audible. Basically anywhere fine business books are sold. You can also find a sample on my website, jimcar.com. We bring all of this together for you because simply put, it's much easier to grow your business when you are a message manager. Now, on your behalf Message Manager listeners, I have been working for some time to get today's guest on the podcast. That does not mean Jeff Amarine has been playing hard to get or avoiding me. He's just definitely a moving target. See, Jeff is one of the key leaders in the U.S. when it comes to helping entrepreneurs and in creating lasting venture ecosystems. Jeff has been a senior leader in nine startups and three Fortune 500 companies, and he has made more than 80, 80 angel investments into new ventures and small businesses, either directly or through the funds he manages. Jeff knows a whole lot about commercializing new discoveries, especially in science and technology. He served as Associate Vice Provost, Research and Economic Development, and Director of Technology Ventures at the University of Arkansas. And then he left to do what he's doing now as Founder and Managing Director of Startup Junkie Consulting. Startup Junkie in tandem with a foundation, provides no-cost, one-to-one consulting for entrepreneurs, as well as events, workshops, programs, access to capital and talent. Startup Junkie is based in Northwest Arkansas and has now extended its services to entrepreneurial communities spanning from Canada to South America. Interesting fact, Jeff is a graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy and even spent some time working in the Strategic Air Command as a Missile Launch Officer. Today, we'll learn a lot about communication and messaging for entrepreneurs and startups, but really, for anyone who has an innovative product, solution, or idea. Jeff, welcome to the Manager Message Podcast.
2: Jim, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here with you today.
0: Great pleasure to have you, Jeff, because of the different experiences and the different points of view that you have in helping people with an innovation, what they think to be a great idea. Maybe the best way to start from all of this is in what you're doing now through Startup Junkie, what are the types of entrepreneurs and teams that you're generally working with today? And has that been changing at all over time?
2: Uh, it's a great question. And and the thing that's interesting about our business is we see probably a thousand entrepreneurial engagements a year across our two operating areas. And the entrepreneurs are pre-revenue in some instances, people that are just at concept stage, all the way to companies that are at 25 million that are trying to figure out how to grow to 250 million. And they really cross the spectrum of industrial sectors that you could imagine. So occasionally we'll have people looking at a new food or beverage concept, Other times we'll have someone that's got a new nanomaterial that they're looking to commercialize that's based on university intellectual property and everything in between. So it's never boring and it's always really an interesting crew of of folks that come through the door looking for help.
0: I can only imagine. The pattern that I've seen over time, maybe it's a bit of a stereotype, is especially the more technical, complicated, scientific innovations in the area where you have a lot of experience is that those innovators can be very passionate. They really know their their niche, their idea really well, but they can really get stumped when it comes to talking about it, especially to people outside of their industry or especially to lay people. Is that overstating the case or does that tend to be the status quo?
2: It's accurate, really. And it, it's anyone that has spent a lot of time developing a depth of expertise in a given industry vertical or within a – in technology – in particular, they become so used to using the three-letter and four-letter acronyms and the industry jargon and in saying things in a lot of words that could be said in a few that breaking them of that habit, sometimes we, we say, you've got to give this presentation or this pitch or this story you're trying to tell the grandma test. If your grandma could understand what you're saying, then you're probably at the right level of detail. And it's hard. It's extremely difficult for people that are well-versed in a given technology or in a given industry to explain things in plain English rather than in the jargon that they're comfortable with.
0: Yeah, it's easy for all of us. We kind of have a comfort level in how we describe things and what we want to talk about. And we tend to know our stuff, right? Much more so than we know things outside of our immediate circle. Back to the snapshot of the people that you're serving and advising mm-hmm. and helping along the way, uh, you mentioned you'll see, what was it, about a thousand? About a um,
2: thousand a year across the team and yeah. in two operating locations.
0: It's interesting in that I suspect it's also a mix, not just by kind of industry and the stage of the company or the idea, but also the entrepreneurs themselves. I was kind of imagining that there's at least three buckets of people could be kind of the the young and green, young talent that may have a, a software idea or a product idea and the like. I've also seen a number, and I, I profile some folks in, uh, like this in my book, that are career changers, but they're going into a related area. So maybe mm-hmm. they were an engineer in a corporate environment or an academic environment, and they have something that's along those lines. But sometimes also people who might be kind of midlife or mid-career, and they're changing into a brand new area. Is that the different categories that you see as well and do those present some different challenges to those entrepreneurs?
2: It's an instructive point. We've had entrepreneurs with amazing products that are in high school or even middle school that will come in with their parents because they've been working on some type of innovation. That's sort of a a bit of a statistical outlier. We'll also see a lot of people that have ties to the University of Arkansas or some of the other. Uh, regional institutions of higher education that are, you know, they're, they're idea generators at that age. They constantly are, are dredging up new ideas. They're trying to figure out the, the effective way of taking something to market and how to validate or invalidate their ideas because of where we sit and the concentration of of professional talent that comes out of the larger companies, the flagship enterprises that are in the area like Walmart and J.B. Hunt and Tyson and all the surrounding supplier community, we get a bunch of people that are mid-career or that are thinking about transitioning out of what they're doing and are trying to figure out how to leverage or capitalize on all that experience they've had, subject matter expertise they have in a way that will allow them to build something really compelling in a, in a new startup. And then we see people that are at the end of a long career, either they've just gotten out of the military or they're, they've spent a lot of time as an executive in one place or another. And they realize that that wasn't their final act. And they'd really like to consider doing something else as a final act. And then I would also say that entrepreneurship is not the d- domain of any particular, Uh, race, creed, or color or gender, we see people across the spectrum, people that are recent immigrants, people that have been here a long time, men and women. It is a mindset and a movement that spans uh, any particular demographic group that you can imagine. And that's what makes it really fun and interesting for
0: us. Oh, sure. Uh, So a lot of diversity in terms of the people, their background, (laughs) their experience where their idea sits by industry or by stage. A lot of great stuff we mentioned in the intro for you. You have directly or or through the funds that you manage invested in more than 80 startups and small businesses. That number may even be higher now from when I was doing my research. It is, it,
2: it is a little bit higher. Yeah, it's a little bit higher, but under 100, but more than 80 at this point. We've got so more we're, activity. We're,
0: yeah, pushing three figures here. We'll uh, right. get to that pretty pretty quickly. You also said a lot, a lot more comes across if your desk of that with your colleagues there in Startup Junkie. Mm-hmm. Are there some factors that tend to separate from your standpoint? And everyone's going to have a different lens here of mm-hmm. uh, the investables from the not investables.
2: Yeah, we get we get asked that question a lot, and. It's really true, and I'm not the first one that said it, is that the top three things that you look for in any new venture or that determines whether or not it would be a good investment target or not is the management team, the management team, and the management team. Those are the top three. And then everything else is kind of subservient to that. I mean, for sure, you want to see that it's a big market and they can build an economic moat around something that will give them competitive advantage. But that starts and finishes with the confidence you have and the founder's ability to execute. That's the biggest part of it. And, and really the first two gates that they have to get through to be interesting from my point of view is, is there any empirical evidence, any proof at all that they can sell to important groups, that they can sell investors and that they can sell customers. And really my preference is to have proof that they are successful in actually being able to solve a problem that someone would pay for and they've got a funded pilot or they have some early sales. And the second part of that is, can they craft a story that's gonna resonate to other investors, other smart people that would be great to have in the deal? Because nobody wants to be alone. When you're an early stage investor and you're you're part of deals where, that require more money than what you can individually put in, you want to share that risk with other people that are gonna be additive to the business, gonna help open doors, et cetera. So, The ability to sell investors and also customers is a big litmus test for me.
0: Jeff, you did not mention the word passion. And I think passion, at least what I find, you're deeper in this than I is a double-edged sword. So Mm you've got to have something that drives that motor when things are uncertain or you might be running into roadblocks, et cetera. But you also find, as I do sometimes, that one's passion tends to blind them to an extent about who would actually buy this thing and how could I describe it to someone else and that frankly, it's not about me?
2: Yeah, so it's a good question. A lot of times people say, well, it's all about, they have to be passionate for and they have to be all in, burn the ships, I mean, all those other cliches. And for sure, you, you need to have entrepreneurs that are committed to what they're doing. But what I look for is the kind of grit and the resolve and the resiliency to handle the inevitability of the fact that it's a long process that is going to result in long hours and low wages or no wages for a really long period of time. So the gut check there is, are they up for that? What are they going to do when they get to a point where they're not sure if they're going to be able to make payroll? How are they going to react when things get tough? What's the response going to be when things are costing more and taking longer than expected because every forecast ever made on a financial side is an exercise in fiction. That's probably wrong. <laughs> right. And and so passion is important, but it but I don't look for people that are zealots or that are blinded. I, I really look for people that are students of the industry they're in, that develop an encyclopedic knowledge of the competition and their own product and positioning and that uh, will take a clear-eyed view of it, almost be a consultant to their own idea in a way that they can pivot or move away from it if they get evidence from the market that the demand is not where they were originally aiming. Some of the better investments we've had over time have been in companies where where they started and the target they initially were aiming for changed dramatically, but they were agile enough to move towards a new target. They listened to the market. And uh, and I think those are kind of some important aspects.
0: Would you say, and not to lead the witness uh, here too much, but the the elements that you help them refine are a sense of whom we sort like who has the business problem or who has mm-hmm. the, the mm-hmm. issue that we're trying to solve. Because if someone if you say well who's your market or who's going to be your buyer if you if people say it too broadly then you, mm-hmm. that's probably a, a red flag. But to be able to say here's the problem we address for either an enterprise or for an individual buyer, and here's how we're different in some important way from either a do-it-yourself or from a named competitor.
2: Yeah, the framework that we request they use if they haven't already used it, and it's kind of become a part of the toolkit that most new startup ventures are using is the Lean Startup or the Lean Canvas methodology. And it forces them to focus not on their solution or their product idea or their service idea, but on, first on the problem they're solving and the specific customer segments that actually have that problem. And, and when you think about that, it's a nine box lean canvas. It's essentially a one page business plan that captures all the headlines that you would typically have in an executive summary. So the problem you're solving, the customers that actually have that problem that would pay for it, the solution in terms of the benefits that a customer would derive, The unique value proposition, you could think of that in terms of a brand promise or the save money, live better moment for that company. The unfair or sustainable competitive advantage that they have, the cost structure associated with what they're doing, the revenue streams and how they generate it, their key metrics on how they measure progress, and then their channels of how they go to market. It's nine simple boxes that represent those headlines for that business model. And we help them use that as a tool of iteration so that they can really go out and say, is this a problem that someone cares about? How do I know? And who are the customers and how do I know? There's an individual named uh, Giff Constable that wrote a book called Talking to Humans. And the approach that he takes to asking really good questions is to ask open-ended questions where you don't try to lead the person you're talking to, towards the solution or the answer that you hope they have. And so that's something we advise all of our clients to do. And and the benchmark best practice when they're trying to validate something about their business model is to have at least a hundred of those conversations with potential customers, subject matter experts, or influencers that are relevant to their space. And like with any time you do that sort of qualitative questioning, You're not looking at survey results and it's not sort of impersonal. You're really looking for themes associated with that that will tell you something about what that customer really cares about. And those are techniques that are super helpful. And it forces also the entrepreneurs to learn how to listen more than to speak, to learn how to receive more than they transmit, and to really pay attention to what the customer is telling them.
0: Jeff, you brought up a few things there that I think are worth digging into a little bit more. And, and not just for sure. entrepreneurs. I, one of the benefits of having you on the podcast is all of the things that you're talking about are for anyone, I think, that wants to grow a business or a, a cause or whatever that might be. One of them is this the, the notion of the pitch or the, the elevator pitch. And mm-hmm. that uh, all of this has become very sexy. And a thing unto itself, and you get the shows like Shark Tank, et cetera, and in pitch competitions. And is that much like passion? Can it be a double edged sword? Can there be, do you find that entrepreneurs coming to you that have an idea are more sophisticated about the pitch? And if so, does that help? Or again, kind of as, as we can talk about more here, do they need to not really just think about the pitch, but think more about conversations?
2: So the best pitch feels very conversational. It's not overly focused on the choreography, but it can also be improved dramatically by the use of good slide materials, by the illustration by telling good stories. And it gets increasingly difficult as the amount of time that you have to pitch is reduced. So we tend to train entrepreneurs how to do the 60-second pitch, which is a door opener, and it's really not one that's intended to be slick or overly Shark Tank-like, but really one that hits all those headlines that would typically be in a lean canvas. And the, the ask on that sort of a short pitch is really just to get to the next meeting. So there's no expectation that an elevator pitch would actually get investment or actually get a sale. It's just to whet the appetite of someone you're talking to who doesn't have a lot of time to waste that you're someone that would be worth inviting to a meeting. And so being able to do that well, to really shrink wrap what you would typically do in 10 minutes or 30 minutes into a 60-second pitch is an important skill. And then we'll follow that with, okay, now you've got the meeting. When you go into talk, be conversational, use good images, tell a story, be engaging. It's not about being slick. It's really about being interesting and engaging and hitting all the key points. The pitch is is sort of like a rite of passage to get the meetings. And then once you're in the meeting, you're going to win or lose that sale or that uh, conversation around investment based on how well you do in question and answer. The Q&A part of it is where good investors or good people on the buy side are gonna do the forensic search of the depth of your knowledge and the reality of what you're saying. Are you an expert in what you're saying or is it just a veneer for marketing? So that's kind of the way I put it into context. It's a rite of passage, but it, it doesn't accomplish anything other than open a door for the next more detailed conversation.
0: And along the lines of the next conversation, one of the things that I speak with with clients about is getting their teams ready for specific, important, priority conversations, uh, which may have some overlap in content and form and length, but but they are kind of their own animals as well. So, with you look ahead at that as you're working with entrepreneurs, working with the teams, are there? important types of conversations that they need to prepare for. So certainly investors would be one, people who would meet the customer or client profile would be others. Are there, speaking to lenders or influencers or or the like, what are you, what would be in your starter kit of conversations that an entrepreneur or a business, a growth business leader should have?
2: Yeah, and I think I th- think you've hit it right there. It's the level of preparation we try to encourage is to first of all understand who that audience is, learn as much about them as they're going to learn about you. So be well researched ahead of time. Understand if you, for example, if it's an initial meeting where you're trying to build a relationship for a, a potential corporate account understand the power map, understand who the influencers are, who the potential saboteurs are, who the gatekeepers are, who the technical buyers are, who the economic buyers are, understanding that power map ahead of time and being well researched on what's important to that business are hugely valuable things to do, really kind of essential. And same for investors, the preparation there is don't waste your time calling on an angel investor or a venture capital investor that's not interested in the sector that you're in. Spend the time calling some of their portfolio companies and find out as much about them as they're ultimately going to find out about you. Um, making sure that it's a good cultural match between that investment group and the company is hugely important. Too often, entrepreneurs will feel like any investor will do, and they miss the fact that you shouldn't bring an investor on that's not gonna bring strategic value that won't be able to help with strategy or sales or some other aspect of the business. So preparation, just like most things in life is really important to understand what it is that that person on the other end of that conversation hopes to get out of the conversation and what you need, what kind of questions you need to be prepared to answer when you get into the conversation. So doing your research is really, important.
0: I would guess that at a very minimum, Jeff, you should be prepared for the question if you get through of so why did you contact me as opposed to someone else, which should I guess lead to those other content areas those other things that, that people should have done their their homework on.
2: Absolutely. You know, absolutely. The one thing you can't make more of is time and and busy people tend to have less of than most and particularly if you think about the context of someone comes to see us on the investment side, and we see so many deals, it is really refreshing when they're prepared. They know other things we've invested in. And I'm talking about when I'm wearing the investment hat, not the the startup junkie consulting hat. But yeah, preparation is key. And it makes an impression too, because it shows that that person that's coming to have a conversation with you cared enough about the conversation to be prepared and to try to understand more of what you're all about
0: and what might be important to you. It's hugely important. A moment ago, Jeff, you also talked about storytelling, which Mm -hmm. also as a topic is one that we're finding is really important. I don't find it to be a fad because I think it's rooted in brain science and culture and a lot of other things. Although people sometimes can, I think, get the application of storytelling a little Mm -hmm. bit wrong. But you mentioned it as, as something that's important. Maybe you could talk about that a bit in terms of what role that plays, should play, and if there are particular types of stories that entrepreneurs need to be fluent in.
2: Yeah, it's it's an excellent question. Sometimes we refer to that as a day in the life of the customer. And, And you, in an investment pitch in particular, we'll use that as an example. You paint the picture of the current situation, whatever the issue is that... the the person that's going to benefit, the customer, the customer group, or the market segment, what they're having to deal with. And you hope that you do that in a way that paints those images in someone's mind that may just have a simple slide to look at, or maybe some kind of graphic. But that storytelling brings it to life. And if you can make the emotional connection and make it more personal, then it's really compelling. So for example, When in the life sciences space, when a a company's got a new therapeutic or a new treatment for cancer or something, if they can bring to life a very specific example of the consequence of what happens if this treatment doesn't exist or the shortcomings of the current treatment, and they paint it in real ways with a real or someone that's not just something they made up but an actual case, it makes it so much more meaningful to that audience because everyone has likely been touched by that in some respect. So that's an effective use of s- storytelling at the front end to, to gain the attention of the audience. Now, it shouldn't be so affected that it feels like marketing veneer or superficial. It really has to be something that as a company is tied to the purpose of answering the why question of why do you exist? People s- on all sides see through the veneer of uh, of an inauthentic uh, statement that's just there for marketing purposes. But if it is authentic, and it's something you really care about because it touched you personally or it touched a family member personally, or someone you know, or people that you're working with, then it, I think it it's effective use of storytelling for sure.
0: I would imagine in the homework, the background that people need to do as they're going for investing dollars, they're going for uh, for new customers, that there's an element that's the the quantitative, the hard issue about here's how much the problem seems yeah. to be costing people. Here's how they keep score. Here's the market size, mm-hmm. et cetera. But I would imagine too, Jeff, if you can go out and you're talking to people who are in your target market and they tell you a story, something about a frustration or a missed opportunity or a cost or an exposure that they're dealing with in their own words, when and it's part of why, you know, you don't exist. You're, you're not an option for them right now, but boy, they have this problem. We had a sales expert named Ian Altman on the podcast uh, a little bit earlier, and he talked about it as the elevator rant. Mm-hmm. It would be the thing that if you weren't in that company's space and some of their, their people were taking an elevator ride together and one might turn to the other and go, gosh, you know, we just can't seem to solve this production issue, or we've got, you know, this such and such that's driving me crazy. So- is it part of the, the mining for stories if you can get a potential customer to talk about the the problem in their words yeah. and then be able to bring that in and match it up to what you provide?
2: Absolutely. I mean, that's that's kind of the, the level of forensic pain finding that you want to get to, to where if you ask the open-ended question the right way and you start to sense some heat and energy around something maybe different than where you thought that question would go, You continue to follow up, and you pull more information out of them, or you have them. You try to elicit those sorts of stories because those are the themes that you're really looking for, and 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 that can manifest in lots of different ways. But I've not heard it called an elevator rant before, but I love that because that is accurate. The kinds of stuff that is a nagging and annoying or disruptive to productivity that they'd be willing to talk about, and being able to mine that effectively by good forensic question asking in a way that is not overly obtrusive, but pulls it out of them in a way that it's almost like therapy. It's a cathartic process for the person on the other side because you're continuing to ask these questions on something they really want to talk about because they're not
0: happy with the current state of the solution. So, Jeff, let's take that a bit into and let you talk a little bit about Startup Junkie and kind of how it's come about and how it has grown and evolved and still, I I would guess you would probably call it in an adolescent stage. Still, it's not, not as big or as expansive as it probably will be soon, but uh, you've gone from all of your own work, the work you did through the University of mm-hmm. Arkansas, you started Startup Junkie, there's a foundation that's in place, mm-hmm. you have a staff, and you got a lot of people in your in your ecosystem, and now also mentions uh, you're, you're helping groups of uh, entrepreneurial communities and individuals and teams between Canada and South America. So what are the kinds of things that you're doing? What are you helping solve all the way from you know, peer connections to events to access to talent and capital? Mm-hmm. I know, very big question, yeah. but you know, you're know, you clearly stepping into the areas that are needed. So how is that all developing and where do you see it going?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. And, and I will start by saying that Startup Junkie is an accidental business I never really <laughs> intended to start. And we're now 11 years into it. But it was it was the type of thing where if you roll the clock back to when I was in the the sort of height of doing multiple startups during the telecom and the Internet boom in the 90s, you always felt alone. There were not resources for mentorship. There were very few angel groups at the time. Most people thought you were crazy for starting something and leaving a good enterprise job. And that was a common theme, not just for me, but for anybody that's gone down any entrepreneurial pursuit. So in 2007, 2008 timeframe, when I thought I was kind of hiding out from the startup world and working as uh, in the technology licensing office, Tech Ventures, it ultimately ended up being called, uh, they started a new state program called Innovate Arkansas that was funded by the Arkansas Economic Development Commission. I was one of the few people in the state that had done a lot of startups that were based on technology and had raised money and made money and lost money and all those sorts of things so i got pulled into that as kind of an ad hoc part-time side hustle that i cleared with the university and it was a business that kind of got away if you will because it was filling a void and so northwest arkansas council and ultimately the walton family foundation the sba the u.s department of commerce university of central arkansas city of Fayetteville and others thought saw the merits in what we were doing And it was a weird, unique business model in that one of the things that I learned throughout my career is that customers with no money are really terrible customers. And that's every startup and small business you ever (laughs) met. And so in order to serve them, because they really need it, they're also the lifeblood of the economy. You had to provide a lot of the services free or near free in order for them to be successful. They needed the McKinsey quality consulting services on strategy and planning and branding and all that kind of financial stuff. They couldn't afford to pay for them. They certainly weren't going to pay $400 an hour. So we figured out a way based on a good story around inputs, outputs, and outcomes to convince economic development groups like the Walton Family Foundation, the SBA, and U.S. Department of Commerce, and others to fund our activities on the behalf of the startup. So all of our services are free today. We now have a a little over 20 people in two locations with very diverse backgrounds in science and engineering and finance and education and coaching. Um, we operate under two brands, the startup junkie brand in the Northwest Arkansas, part of the state, Northern part of the state and conductor brand, which is affiliated with university of central Arkansas around Conway and the rural counties around central Arkansas. And so it's a mix of not just traditional management consulting, but also we run a ton of events. And the reason why is when Brad Feld, who is, uh, wrote, uh, Uh, he wrote the story of startup communities. He's based in Boulder and he's part of Techstars wrote about initially about 15 years ago, he said, it has to be event driven and entrepreneur led. And so we realized in order to build community, in addition to providing the services and the programs and accelerators, we had to have a lot of community facing events so that that regular drumbeat of activity, that sort of self reinforcing, reinforcing aspect of bringing people together. Uh, was occurring on a regular basis, or else people begin to lose the faith. They don't come out. They don't realize there's anything happening. So today, in addition to about a thousand entrepreneurial engagements, we run about 200 events a year. And that includes small coffee based events like the 1 million cups that we're part of in Bentonville, and also large things that attract up to 2000 people, like the startup crawl that we just ran in Fayetteville that had participation from lots of different states. I think there were nine states, uh, 44 different cities of people that were involved. We had about 50 startups. We had five bands. We had 13 microbreweries. And it was just this engagement of pulling people together. So so that's kind of where it is. We're this kind of strange mix of event management company and management consultancy with this unsustainable business model we've sustained for 11 years now, which requires third-party funding that's driven by economic development outcomes. And where we hope to go is over the course of the next five years, we wanna fuel 10 times more uh, entrepreneurs and innovators than we have heretofore. So we're trying to 10X our own business to have an even bigger impact. That's kind of the vision uh, for us over the course of the next several years. Now, whether or not that means geographic expansion or or digital expansion to provide more all the stuff that we've learned in digital format we're we're not real clear but that's kind of what it is and it's been a lot of fun to be part of because it's never boring and you can see the real impact
0: on the communities and the people that we serve it's remarkable growth already and a lot more to come two things though jeff that i did note and mm-hmm. you at some point the, uh, the word microbrewery would come up. <laughs> um, and I think you actually had invested in one, right? Yeah, uh, yeah I, have, I have. Yeah, and so, and, which is a great thing. There? There's nothing wrong with having music and brewskis uh, as part of a, an event to, to draw people in. The other is I'm just imagining that uh, you must be pretty good at the pitch and the conversation yourself because you were going to these different entities and different governmental and community leaders and saying, hey, here's an idea you give me and my my small team money and then we're going to give stuff away. Yeah, and so uh, but you yeah. managed to connect the dots for everyone.
2: And partly it was because thankfully it wasn't something where it was all an evangelical pursuit where we had to convince them. There were good stats from the Kaufman Foundation, which is kind of the number one entrepreneurial think tank, and the SBA that said somewhere between 2 out of every 3 and maybe up to 85% of all net new job creation comes from startup and small business. So if you believe that and you also believe the failure rate is very high and if you also believe that if you can keep them alive for 5 years through good support and guidance it can have real economic impact and so with every one of these contracts that we that we get and the grants that we get There's a set of measurable outcomes that we report on either once a quarter or once a year, depending upon the group, that shows this is the way this venture ecosystem is tracking. And then we also back it up with anecdotal stories to say, hey, this is a company that started out as two guys working out of the Bentonville Library that now employs 105 people and is on every list that you'd want to be on in terms of fastest growing company in the country and best place to work. And that's an example of the outcomes that are possible if they've got some of this catalytic support and removing those friction points that they otherwise might have difficulty with. So yeah, I mean, we tell a pretty good story. We've gotten a lot better over time at, at promoting what we do in terms of community building and getting our own podcasts out there, the Startup Junkies podcast. I mean, we've gotten a lot better at it. I say kind of jokingly that we sort of rednecked our way into some of this stuff, trial and error. I mean, we kind of bushwhacked our way through just to figure things out as entrepreneurs often do. But now we've got a a professional staff that's way better than me personally. I was that age old thing of hiring A plus players or people that are smarter than you. I was was blessed to be able to do that in spades because we've got a team here that is world-class that could work anywhere. And fortunately for the for the love of what we do and the impact we have, we've been able to gather some really fine people to make it all happen.
0: Jeff, as a, as a final note, and this is an overly broad question, but I'll, I'll put it there because I think you've probably gotten this before, sure. is for entrepreneurs, budding entrepreneurs or listeners who, I'm not in a startup, but I've got a small business mm-hmm. or I've got an enterprise that I really want to, to accelerate the mm-hmm. growth. I really, and I want to maintain that entrepreneurial spirit and really make a go of it. Do you have any advice, things to stay away from, things to really run toward that will Will likely lead them down the path that they're looking for.
2: Yeah. And and in fact, we run a a program out of central Arkansas called the 10X Growth Accelerator. It's really oriented towards businesses of 100,000 to 10 million that want to 10X their business. And it wasn't intended to be a sales pitch for that. But the idea is there's, there's various inflection points in the growth of a company that you may or may not be the right person to undertake or may or may not be fully equipped to handle. And everybody rises at some point to their level of comfort or incompetency. So the first thing that I always say is figure out how to work yourself out of a job, which means build for succession and have the echelon of leadership that can run the company, even if you're not there. If you can do that, your life, you can work on the business and not in the business. And I know that's a cliche, but it really matters. There's some pretty good references out there about that are really useful, that are catching on across the country. Gina Wickman has written a book called Traction that gives an outline for an entrepreneurial operating system. And it's a lot of assessment of where you are as a business, how you're conducting meetings, how you're defining targets, how you're hiring and firing, the alignment of your culture with your vision and your mission it's really good. A lot of those things, occasionally, I just, you feel like it's more of the same, but he did a really nice job of capturing all those pieces in the book. So for those companies that are looking to break out of wherever they are, they're small businesses that want to be not so small, traction is good. And I would say the first point though, is you've got to be ready to work yourself out of a job and to hire and pay for the people. And in, in sort of with a succession plan in mind that can run the business better than you can. If you can do that, then all other things are possible along the way, I think.
0: Great stuff. And uh, we will message manager listeners, connect you to those books, the resources, um, to the startup junkie podcast, which is a, a really good one um, to uh, to get in in the minds of a lot of entrepreneurs and people who are helping guide that process. It's been a real treat. Jeff Amarine, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Any other ways that you'd like to share just so people can keep up with you, your events and programs and everything Startup Junkie related?
2: Yeah, I would say you can follow us at, at startupjunkie.org on the website. You can follow us on Facebook, also check out The Conductor in Central Arkansas, that's at ARConductor.org, and then the Startup Junkies podcast. And, and we tend to really saturate social media with events and activities. So if you're anywhere, uh, really anywhere in the country, we're happy to talk to you if you've got things that we can help with. And if we can figure out a way to connect you to some of the flagship enterprises we have here, we'd love to be able to do it.
0: And perhaps a micro brew along the way.
2: Absolutely. There will be beer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> on that note and on that very positive note, hey Jeff, thanks again for being on the podcast. Thanks,
2: Jim. I appreciate you a
0: lot. Our thanks to Jeff Amarine for bringing to the podcast the perspective of an active investor and advisor to innovators, entrepreneurs, small businesses. Thanks to you as well for joining the Manage Your Message podcast. You might be rather new as we continue to grow here on the podcast. We're, I think we're now into about 60 episodes. If I can be helpful in directing you to a particular episode or topic, then please let me know. We have had conversations with journalists, researchers, experts, coaches, authors, entrepreneurs, business owners, uh, folks of all stripes, a few solo episodes as well. So we try to come at the issues of managing growth and leadership from a variety of perspectives. You'll also find recently, I believe it was episode 55, which was a year one review that can help you get caught up as well. But do let me know if I can help direct you to resources on particular topics. In fact, there are many ways we might be able to help you manage your message for yourself or for a team or an entire organization. If you go to my website, jimcar.com, you'll see where you can Enroll in receiving a free message manager memo. It gives you some brief practical tips that will show up in your email inbox each week. There are also links to a sampler of my new book and ways that you can go directly to buy the book if you're so inclined. I also speak regularly to associations and corporations and advise a range of clients on ways that you can put together your own playbook and build not only a better, more effective growth message, but also the skills and confidence levels of your messengers. So let's talk if I might be helpful. My email address and my direct phone number are on the website, jimcar.com J-I-M-K-A-R-R-H.com. Until next time, message managers, thanks for joining the conversation.
1: Thanks for joining us on the Manage Your Message podcast with Jim Carr. You'll find show notes and other resources at managermessagepodcast.com and jimcar.com. Please help us serve you and other message managers by subscribing to, rating, and reviewing this podcast and connect with Jim on LinkedIn and on Twitter at jimcar. Until next time, we hope your business message is shared well and often.